0: We're continuing in the book of Acts, so I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and uh, to turn there. We're in Acts chapter 13, and uh, this morning I want to begin uh, uh, with this this question and looking at this idea of what would you do if if you were uh, in a time of prayer, seeking God, pursuing God, and you felt like God was giving you this simple message. I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth right? What if you're praying, you're, you're seeking God, and, and you felt really strongly he spoke those words into your heart? How would you respond? How would you feel? Uh, if, you're, if you're much like me, you would probably feel small. And, and like, God, I, I, don't, I, I, can't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I have the ability to do that. I don't think I'm, I have the, isn't there somebody else who's better equipped? Isn't there someone else who could do it? Uh, and I would really wrestle with my inability to accomplish that task, um, but the reality is, what we see in Scripture over and over again is that is the task that has been laid before us. And the the section that we're going to look at today is really uh, the beginning of seeing the gospel go uh, to the entire world, to across racial and cultural and and every sort of geographic and political barrier. The gospel is beginning to spread in a powerful way. And so as we look at the early church, when we look at these first steps, these these preliminary steps in doing this, uh, there's encouraging and powerful words that, that God wants to speak to us about how we can fulfill the call that he's placed in our own lives. And so that's where we're going. That's what we're wrestling with today. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer just to kind of prepare our hearts for, for this uh, this heavy task. Father, we thank you for drawing us here this morning. We recognize that we're not here by accident, uh, whether we were brought here um, out of an urgent desire to come close to you, to draw near to your presence, whether we had uh, someone dragging us along, whether we're here to appease a loved one, whether whatever reason we've been brought into this room, God, we know that you are sovereign over all and that you've brought us here for a reason. And so my prayer is that our hearts would just be open this morning and that we would uh, truly wrestle with your word, wrestle with the, the timeless truth that you've placed in Scripture and how to apply it to our situations, to my situation today, so that I can honor and glorify you. Uh, help us to do this, Lord. We can't do it apart from you and without your Holy Spirit. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you turn to your Bible, and your Bible, to, uh, to Acts chapter 13, uh, let's just bring us up to speed on where we're at. If you weren't here last week or haven't been with us, we've, we've done several series. We're walking through the book of Acts in, in a number of series. And so this is actually our third series of sermons. It's going to go from now all the way through uh, up to Christmas time, And we're going to walk through Acts chapters 13, 14, and 15, Um, And so what we've seen in the book of Acts up to this point is that it picks up in the story right after the Gospels leave off. And so Jesus was crucified, even though he was innocent. He died. He was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. And he began to appear to his his disciples and his apostles, uh, proving that he had risen from the dead. And over 40 days, he instructs and and encourages them. He shows them how all the Old Testament scripture was pointing towards him and relates to him. And he gives them this command. He says, go into Ju- uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's their marching orders. And so up Acts chapters 1 through 12, uh, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out. They begin to proclaim Jesus in Jerusalem. They come up against persecution and are scattered. And so they begin to also begin proclaiming him throughout the region of Judea and into Samaria, which is a neighboring country, but, but also people that they viewed as enemies and so uh, we've seen it get thus far, but it has yet to cross over to the ends of the earth category, right? We've yet to begin to see. We've seen little hints of it. There's an Ethiopian eunuch who received the gospel and went on and, and took the gospel back to Ethiopia. But we're about to begin to see it in a really concerted way. And so at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, we see this church in Antioch, an awesome, amazing church, what Riverside would aspire to be. It's a church that, that loves Jesus. It's racially and ethnically and, and geographically. It's diverse, as you can imagine, uh, it's a bunch of really diverse and and different people that are united in one thing, and that's their belief and their faith and their love for Jesus Christ. And we see that the church is growing, it's thriving. That many are being added to the number. Uh, that that Paul goes with Barnabas, and he spends a year just teaching and pouring into them uh, what we would call here at Riverside discipleship. Right? He's just they're teaching them how to live like Jesus. Uh, They're a generous church. They recognize that the church in Jerusalem is needed, so they take up an offering, and they they send Paul and Barnabas to deliver that to the other believers in in Jerusalem. So they're a generous church. And last of all, they're they're not a satisfied church. They're a hungry church, right? They, They come together and say, God, you are doing awesome things in Antioch. This is the epicenter of where things are happening right now. But, God, we believe you have a vision beyond this. This isn't it that there's more that you want to do. And so they identify five leaders who come together. Uh, they pray, they fast, they seek the Lord, and they feel like God really clearly conveys through the Holy Spirit that that they want them to take Paul and Barnabas and set them aside and send them out uh, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they pray, they fast to just follow up on that. The church lays hands on them, and they send them out. And that's where we pick up the story today in verse 4. So we're at Acts chapter 13, verse 4. It'll be up here on the screen for you. Um, But I encourage you to bring your Bible to church, right? If there's one place where you can bring it, this is it, you know? So this is the place. Uh, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and saw to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, that they get their uh, first missionary trip off to a real bang. They go to this island. They're going through. They're, they're proclaiming Jesus. Everywhere they go, they get called before the the leading ruler, of uh, the Roman ruler of the whole island. They come and have an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And then this this magician, this this false prophet, opposes them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets struck blind. And the proconsul sees this, and he's amazed by the teaching, and he comes to receive Jesus. I mean, this is an incredible start to their journey, right? It's It's, it's amazing. And so as we look at this, there's some really powerful principles that we can see here and apply to our own lives as we're given this mission to go out and to proclaim Jesus to the whole world. And the first thing, and it's the foundational thing, that, that nothing else, if the foundation isn't right, that it doesn't matter what you build on top of it. And so don't ignore this first point and go to the, the subsequent ones. This is the one that it all hinges on. It's that they were led by the Holy Spirit. The ministry that honors Jesus, that it will be effective and fruitful kingdom ministry is centered on and rooted and empowered and led and guided by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 4, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, if you track back into verses 1 through 3, we see that the church had gathered, they prayed, they fasted, uh, they heard from the Lord, and they laid hands on these guys and they sent them out. And so you might say, well, well hey, wasn't it the church that sent them out? Uh, but really, it was the Holy Spirit working through the vehicle of the church. That's the exciting thing that the Holy Spirit is still working today and he's doing it through you and me. When the Holy Spirit works in this world, many times it's through our hands and feet and through our mouths, through our obedience that we get to be used by him. And so it was clearly the Holy Spirit sent them and the church got the joy of partnering with them in doing that and sending them out. But it's so crucial to see that we need to be seeking after. We need to be hungry as we looked at for week. We need to be hungry For the leading of the Holy Spirit, we need to say, God, I I have ideas about plans and things I could do. I could go to this place and I could do this thing and I could do it in your name. But if you're not doing it within the will of the Father, if you're not doing it under the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, you're operating on your own. And even though it's a good thing, it may become a bad thing because the motive, the direction, the leading is not from the Spirit. And so we've got to stay so close to the Spirit. Now, some of you might, uh, I know we come from a really wide range of backgrounds in here, which I love. I think that's a, one of the strengths of our church. And so some of you, like, yeah, I know about, all about the Holy Spirit. I was in a Holy Spirit church when I was younger, and it was kind of crazy. It got a little wild. Services went four hours long. People were dancing in the aisles, right? Um, and then there's other people that said, you know, I, I grew up in a church, and I i didn't even know there was a third member of the Trinity, actually. <laughs> I thought he was absentee, right? And so we come with this crazy diversity in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what it looks like to be sealed by him. A couple months ago, we worked through the book of Ephesians. Listen to what the book of Ephesians says about this relationship with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, it says this, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So Paul's saying... uh, God works before. He always goes before. He's always first in leading. And so if you've come to faith in Christ, it's because God was at work. He was calling you. He was leading you. He was directing you into a relationship with him. Before you were even aware of it, while you were still in rebellion against him, he was seeking you and calling you into relationship with him. And it says that when we come, when we repent, or when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're sealed for salvation. And so some of you may be sitting here today saying, well, I don't, I don't know if I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what does that look like. I've never told anybody that they were going to be blind and saw them become blind. So so I don't, I don't know that I've seen that kind of evidence in my life. But but what we see over and over again in Scripture is the Holy Spirit, uh, he doesn't love to draw attention to himself. He loves to draw attention to Jesus. He loves to bring glory and praise and honor to Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning as we, as we sing these songs of praise to Jesus, as we open up the scripture and we read about Jesus, is, does your heart yearn with a desire to praise and to love and to honor Jesus? Uh, do, you, do you get teary eyed when you think about the gospel at times? Are there times where you're just profoundly struck with a desire to praise and honor and glorify Him? If you are, then that is evidence clearly of the Holy Spirit working within you. Uh, because in our nature, in our own hearts, we rebel. We, we, in darkness, we want to run from the light. The Holy Spirit leads us to honor and glorify and praise Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that if you, if you love Jesus, if you have a praise in your heart, that you, you can rest assured that it's the Holy Spirit who's working in and through you. But you can seek a greater manifestation of his presence in your life. You can seek him out and say, I want to be more directed by you. And we do this by coming to his word, by spending times in prayer and in fasting like we looked at last week. And if you're here and you say, hey, you know what? I was raised in the church my whole life. I, I know all the facts and the figures. I, I know the ceremony and the ritual. But I don't know that I can say that I love Jesus. I don't, I don't know that I, I, don't, I, what's the big deal? I, I'm not sure that I get it. You know, on one level, I understand the facts, but I just don't have a, a heart connection. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I love Jesus. Then I would encourage you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I, uh, I need to submit to you so that I will receive the Holy Spirit and love you well. It all begins with the Holy Spirit, the empowerment, the leading, the guiding, the direction of the Holy Spirit. He will lead us to the places where he is at work. With that context and with that foundation, then we look at some of the other things that they did, which can be really helpful for us in thinking about tackling this challenge in our own life. The first thing that we see them do is they start with the opportunity that God had placed right in front of them. So if we take a look at the map here, uh, we looked at this last week, that down here in the bottom right corner is Jerusalem. And we see as you go up the coast, you come up to Antioch, where, is, where this church was planted. And so we see in the in the passage that they went down to Seleucia and then sailed over to Salamis and then worked their way across the island to Paphos. And so I've never been uh, to Antioch or Seleucia or Syria or Cyprus. Has anybody ever been there uh, that's here? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> but I looked at pictures on the Internet this week. And Cyprus looks pretty awesome. So as far as like biblical tours, that looks like it might be the place to go, right? But, but what I read and what I found out this week is that when you're in the port of Seleucia on a really clear day, if you look out across the water in the distance, you can see this landmass. It's this huge island of Cyprus that you can see distantly across the water. And so as they had prayed and the Holy Spirit had empowered and led them and said, I'm sending you out on mission. And they went down to the port city and they stood in the port and they said, God, where are you sending us? And right before them on the horizon, is this huge island that needed the gospel. And they said, let's go there. It's right in front of us. Let's begin our work there. We also know that Barnabas was actually from Cyprus. So one of the two that had been sent out, this was his native homeland. We see this back in Acts chapter 4, and verse 36. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles uh, apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so, so Barnabas would have been saying, hey, listen, uh, I feel like I have an opportunity here. I know people in Cyprus. This is my homeland. I know how to get around there. I have connections. I know where the synagogues are. I know where we can go. We can begin our journey there. And so, so God created an opportunity He opened the door. And so I ask you today, what has God placed right in front of you? What is the mission field? What is the opportunity to share good news of Jesus that he is placed right in front of you? This is not a rhetorical question. This is a specific question geared to every single person in this room because everyone here is unique. You are a unique snowflake. I love you. God loves you, right? Like he's created you so special and he's giving you a unique opportunity to minister in a way that no one else is equipped to do that you have relational connections, that you're placed in a, in a geography, in a place. Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are your neighbors? Who are the people at the bus stop? Who are the people at the gym? Who are the coworkers? Uh, who, are the, who are the people that you've made a connection with on Facebook? You know, what, whatever it is, that you have a unique web of influence and relationship that God wants to use for his glory. And he's working and preparing uh, to do that. And so we want to have community in church Uh, But one of the things that we value at Riverside is giving you space. We want you to come here to get encouraged, inspired to do life together. But we want you to be out in community in the unique places where God has placed you uh, so that you can minister and share the gospel there. And so I ask you to wrestle with that this morning. Who has God placed before you who needs to hear the gospel, who's ready to hear and to respond? Where is he at work? Where is the Holy Spirit working in someone's heart? And he's put you in a unique position to be able to minister to them. We had an opportunity when we went to Brazil to see a a unique uh, occurrence and appearance of this, an example of this. We have uh, a picture here. Uh, It's the next one. Yes, thank you. Uh, This is an area. It's called Sitio Salvador. It's a tiny little village. You go down dirt roads, and it's just really like a road running down uh, through a countryside, and there's little homes, like, speckled along it. And there's one bigger building, and it's the one that we see in the background here. It's the public school that's there. In the area. That's all that there is to this town. And the guy on the far right here in the cool uh, white shirt and the Jesus sandals uh, that's got a cool stance going, that's, uh, his name's Paolo. Paolo grew up in City of Salvador. This was his hometown. Uh, he made the trek uh, 20 or 30 minutes uh, to Fagundas, which is where the churches that we partner with. And Pastor Umberto began to mentor him as a young man and pour into him and invest in him. And then Paolo went to school and began to take seminary training. And God, through the Holy Spirit, really made it clear to him that He was calling him to return to his hometown, to his village, and to plant a church there, to start a church. And so God is working in that community to to develop a church. And Paulo's parents actually own land there that they've given to him to build a chapel so that there will be a church built in that community. And we as Riverside get to be a part of that story uh, through our support, through sending teams down there. At some point, we may send a work team down there to actually work on the building. It's so exciting to be a part of where God is at work because Paulo. Took opportunity with the mission field that had been placed right in front of him. He had influence. He had connections. He had a knowledge of it, and he said yes. He was obedient. Where's God doing that in your life? As you wrestle through that, I want to encourage you with a few things. One is that you need to demonstrate faithfulness where you're placed. If you're allowing sin and distractions and and um, and just uh, a lethargic attitude and apathy to prevent you from being fruitful where you're at. Um, God is not going to take you and and increase uh, your opportunities to minister, right? Like, you got to begin where you're at. In the soil where you're planted, you need to minister well. You need to witness. You need to share. You need to encourage. You need to be a good neighbor. You need to take opportunity of the the circles that God's given to you so that he can continue uh, to multiply your ministry. So be faithful where you've been placed. We need to increase our gospel fluency, right? So we need to understand how what Jesus did impacts every area of life, my own life, my co-worker's life. And so when my coworker comes and shares that, that their aging mother is sick and they have to put her in a, in a hospital and, and she's, not, she's not doing well, how does what Jesus did speak into that situation? When you know somebody who's struggling with addiction or, or, or a, trug, a struggle on a trial, how does what Jesus did speak into that situation? We develop a gospel fluency where whenever someone's talking, it's really clear to us how the gospel intersects with their greater need. They think that they need this. Or maybe it's just like, hey, I want to get the next thing. I want, to get a, I want to get a better iPhone. I want to get a better house. I want to get a better car. I want to get a better thing. And, and, and we are able to look at it and say, hey, you know, you're trying to fill a hole that can only be filled with Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus said if you drink the water that he provides, you'll never thirst again. Doesn't that sound like something you'd be interested in? Right? So, so our gospel influence, uh, fluency grows. That We see the gospel around every corner in every conversation. And the way that we do that is by reading his word, by studying it by coming together with other believers in small groups and studying the Bible, by, by getting together in a discipling relationship and say, hey, here's my coworker I'm praying for. They're in this situation. What do you, what do you see here? Will you pray with me in this? How, how would you speak into the situation that we're growing and learning? That's why we encourage you to grow in community in that way. And finally, just look for places where God is at work. Sometimes we want to go and just ram Jesus down people's throats, right? And sometimes it's the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong opportunity. We're not doing it in the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're just kind of doing it our way. But rather, if we wake up in the morning and say, "Holy Spirit, I know you're at work in this world. That you have people that you're drawing to yourself. Lead me to the right conversations. Open up doors. Bring people to me that I might be able to speak into them. Bring someone who who has a unique struggle that I've gone through that I'm that I'm you know I'm equipped to speak into. Uh, well, we just seek Him. That's what He wants. He wants us just to seek Him. Not my will, but Your will be done. And so that's how we begin by starting with the opportunity that God places in front of us. Second thing we see that they did is that they didn't. Uh, they weren't selective in their sharing of the gospel. They brought the gospel to everyone on the island of Cyprus, the entire island. They went first to the Jews in the synagogue because they shared a common background. They understood the Old Testament. They had an understanding of God and sin and the need for sacrifice and the cost of sin. And they were able to go into that and say, hey, you've been waiting for the Messiah. He has come. It's Jesus Jesus. His sacrifice was ultimate and perfect. And so, uh, so we understand that, that the animal sacrificial system is, a, is an image, it's a picture of what Jesus has now done perfectly so that you can receive lasting forgiveness. And so they started there, but they shared the gospel with everyone uh, throughout the island until the, the head leader in the island, uh, the lead Roman, the proconsul, said, I want to hear about what these guys are doing because it's, it's the buzz of the island. Everybody is talking about these guys and how they're sharing uh, good news about God, and, and I want to hear this as well. And so they took it to him. We see that Saul, which is, uh, was, a, was a good Hebrew name, right? He's connected to the very first king of Israel, Saul. It would, it's one that you would bear with a lineage and a pride in the nation of Israel. But when Saul went to, to Cyprus, suddenly he started being called Paul, right? And he walked up to Sergius Paulus, and he said, Hey, your name's Paul. My name's Paul. Let's talk about Jesus, right? <laughs> He'd use any open door he could to make a connection to jump in. He's, he's, he's all things to all people. And like he said, we can't be everything to everyone as a church. We want to be available, and we don't, but we never want to, uh, we, we don't want anybody to walk through the door and be like, oh, hey, you don't quite fit our demographic. There's actually a church that's better for you down the road. No, we welcome all who come, who are drawn by Jesus, and we're strengthened by our diversity. Uh, but ultimately, we say, hey, there's a, there's a big vacuum. There's a void that, that kids will, will come to church over a certain season, but after they graduate high school, they kind of leave the church and disappear, and we don't know where they go. And we really want to structure ourselves in a way where we can reach an audience that's not being reached largely in this community. And so I would ask you, who is it that you've given up hope on? Who is it that's in your circle of influence, but you're like, ah, no, it's, it's not even a point in sharing the gospel with them. They're they uh, they already, they're good. They they, they believe in, in a different belief system, so they don't need to hear the gospel. Or, or no, I'm pretty sure that they're, you know. Don't remove the filters, right? Just take off the filters. Just be ready to share Jesus with anyone who's willing to hear it at any moment, at any time. And if they're not ready, they'll let you know. They're pretty good at that, right? (laughs) But if they are ready, then the door is open and you can walk through it. Let Jesus be the one who sorts out. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who who decides when the timing is. You just be available and ready to share the gospel in all times and all seasons with all people. And thirdly, we see that the Holy Spirit led them to respond in a way that was suitable for each person that they met. And so, as they went through the island, they were pro- proclaiming the gospel of Jesus as fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of love and hope, uh, of mercy and grace, of forgiveness, uh, of of an o- open armed Father who's welcoming them in. But suddenly, they come across this guy Bar Jesus, right? Uh, Bar-Jesus actually, uh, it it means like son of Jesus or or son of uh, Jesus meaning salvation or God saved. So he's the son of of salvation. Uh, It's an ironic name because he's he's sharply opposing them. And so when they come to him, Paul, we're told, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at him and says some of the things that we'll probably hear in the trenches of the Eagles-Cowboys game today, right? You son of the devil, right? (laughs) You agent of unrighteousness full of all deceit and villainy, right? That, that those, those pleasantries may be exchanged across the line today, right? But, but filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, and you say, man, that's not very loving of him to do that. That feels judgmental, that he's past judgment. But what we see is that love at times is firm, and at times it's, it's comforting and encouraging. It's, it's, sometimes it's full of, of evident mercy and grace, and other times it's full of, uh, uh, of correction and rebuke and reproof. But it's all done in love. And so the Holy Spirit led Paul to say, hey, this is a time for sharp, sharp rebuke. When someone positions their face sharply against the gospel and tries to bring others away, that that's the time to step forward in boldness. But he does it out of love, and there's, there's something amazing that happens here that we see this incredible parallel between what happens here and Saul's own personal testimony, right? Saul hated Christians. He rounded them up. He was trying to kill them. He was on the road to Damascus to reach more of them when suddenly Jesus knocked him off his horse and caused him to be blind, caused the blindness to come upon him. And it was that blindness and that encounter with Jesus that forever changed the course of his life, caused him to repent and caused him to become a useful tool in the hands of Jesus. And so while some may look at this and see judgment, I see the opportunity for hope. This Is what we call a fortunate fall. It's a it's a moment of failure that that prepares someone to actually repent and recognize their need for salvation. Many of you in this room have experienced this yourself. You came to a point in your life where you failed miserably. You reached the bottom of the barrel. You reached uh, the bottom of the ocean. You recognized that there was no way to save yourself. And finally, you were ready to reach out to Jesus and call out to him because you had nothing else you could do. Like the prodigal son in the pigsty. He said, what am I doing? I'm starving. I'm, uh, I'm jealous of these pigs and what they're eating. In my father's house, there's food. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to ask for him to receive me. As part of my testimony, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I was a very—I understood the the facts of the gospel. I received Christ at as, as a young age, but I remained very immature. And so, because I was immature, I was self righteous. And I remember thinking about sharing the gospel with my friends and anticipating their response and anticipating them saying, "Yeah, but Ezra, but you don't—you don't seem to sin." And I remember as a as a as a naive 17-year-old in the way that only they can do, right? So it was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got a good point. I really don't, I don't sin, but, <laughs> but if I do, I know Jesus got my back, right? You know what I mean? At that time, like so unaware and naive to my own brokenness and sin. Uh, but God led me through a path in, in my life coming out of college where uh, I literally broke my leg and then I lied about it about why it happened, because I was worried about the medical bills and getting in trouble and getting fired from my job. And so I was spiritually and morally and physically broken. And I regret that I did it and I repent of it. But I look back and I'm grateful that God used that to show me, like, hey, all right, let's get rid of that pride. Let's get rid of that self-righteousness. Let's bring you to a place where I can actually begin to use you and begin to build back into you. And through small steps of faithfulness, he's continued to unfold doors of ministry. And Lord willing, he'll continue to do that for me. Many of you share the same testimony. It's part of your life. It's what you've experienced. Some of you may be here today. You're like, I, I'm, I, I feel like I've reached the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. And so I'm here this morning. I don't even know much about Jesus, but I, I just get this feeling that this is where I need to come. And you've come to the right place. That Jesus says, don't clean yourself up. I'll clean you up. Come broken. Come poured out. Come empty. Come aware of your needs so that I can begin to pour into you, so that you can receive my free gift of salvation, and that my righteousness can be placed upon you. The proconsul sees this happen, and it's not the miracle that converts him. The miracle plays a role, but it's the the powerful teaching of the Lord that wins him over. The miracle gets our attention, right? The five thousand who were fed, uh, they were amazed. They're like, "Wow, this Jesus! We better listen to him." But it's The miracle doesn't save us, it's the message of the gospel that brings salvation. And it was the message of the gospel that they carried that brought salvation to the proconsul. And we know historically that that his daughter and his grandchildren historically were Christians, and so we know that this was a, a lasting salvation that had ripples through this family and through the island of Cyprus for many, many years to come after that. Ultimately, Jesus is always our ultimate example of this, right? Jesus started with the opportunity that was before him. Think about it. The Father sent him to save the world. And he didn't leave that geographic area that we saw on the map there. He traveled a very small geographic distance. He invested in a small number of people, most heavily in three, over three years. And then he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and he entrusted the ministry of taking the gospel to the world to his followers. It was sufficient. Jesus didn't say, I have to go personally to every single person in the world, right? He did what the Father had placed before him, and it's changed the course of history. He literally brought salvation to the world. But he gives us the joy of going and proclaiming it to others. That Jesus brought the gospel to everyone, to Jews, Samaritans, Centurions, Pharisees, tax collectors, prostitutes, convicted criminals, simple fishermen, enemies. He brought it to all of them. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he spoke to them exactly what they needed to hear. To the rich young ruler, he was stern and harsh. He said, sell everything you have and come with me, and you'll have salvation. To the woman who had committed adultery, he showed mercy and compassion. He said, none of them will throw a stone, then neither will I. Rise and go and sin no more. He showed us the example of, of speaking love. Uh, in the right way. And we can only do that through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We can't see into the people's hearts, but he can. And he can lead us to speak in the right and appropriate way, in exactly the way that someone needs to hear. It's always and forever all about Jesus. And so we're going to end today by taking to the Lord's Supper and by responding in song. And so I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to invite those who are helping us with the Lord's Supper to, to come and to get into place. I love the Lord's Supper because it's such a tangible reminder that we're not here to win people to a political view or belief or system. We're not here to win them to moralism. We're not here to win them to a denomination or a ceremony or a structure. We're here to proclaim Jesus crucified for their sins. That the Lord's Supper is always an opportunity to come back and say, this is really all about the broken body of Jesus and his blood that's been poured out for us. And so I encourage you, if, if you say, hey, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm not the person that I want to be, but by God's mercy and grace, I'm growing more towards him. I've received him as my savior. Then this is an opportunity to come and to take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, eat it in remembrance of his broken body and his blood poured out for you. If you're not at a point where you've received Jesus as your savior, if you wouldn't claim to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, don't think that this act will save you. A relationship with Jesus is what saves you. And in fact, the Bible warns us against taking this unrightly. And so if that's where you're at, I encourage you to remain in your seat. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And so what we're going to do is the band is going to begin to play. Take a few moments. uh, If there's any sin that God brings to mind, confess it, repent of it, recognize that we're all unworthy of the table, and then receive the forgiveness that he offers to you. Come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, return to your chair, and then stand and sing with us as we worship Jesus. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us here and for giving us the opportunity to to celebrate your goodness together. As we take of the Lord's Supper, let it remind us that it's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. If there is unrepentant sin, if there are things in our lives, if there are good things that we've turned into God, things that we've placed above you, we, we pray that you would bring them to mind and we would repent of them and we would come back into a right place where you are in your rightful throne over our lives. And if there are any here who have not yet repented of their sin and turned to you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that, that tomorrow is not promised to us. We don't know that we'll get around tomorrow to finally submitting, that today is the day to submit, to allow Jesus to, to take the penalty for your sins and to give you the free gift of grace. Father, work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, lead us and draw us close to you, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.